You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Welcome to all of you, friends of First Christian, neighbors of First Christian. We're so glad that you've chosen to take the time to worship with us today. But I need to invite at the front all of the young ears and eyes to come. So come a little closer to the screen. If you're a little person or even a teenage person, come where you can hear what I've got to say. Let's see, are you all there? Is everyone ready? Okay, wow, there's a lot more of you than I thought. Have you guys been hiding down in the kids' clubhouse in the basement? You teenagers, have you been hiding up in the youth group room? It's really good to have you. I'm glad you're in here. First off, I've got a message just for you. I just want you to know you're doing great. You're being incredibly patient with a lot of change and a lot of disruption. School has been canceled, which is awesome, but it's terrible because we don't get to see our friends. We don't get to play with them. The teachers that we really enjoy learning from, we don't get to be around. But you guys are doing great, and I want you to know that. But I need a little help. Have you noticed that all the adults are really stressed out? They're really worked up, maybe a bit on edge? Here's where I need your help. I need you to tell the adults to just slow down and breathe. Have them and ask them if they have prayed to God. Maybe they need a time out where they can just sit and breathe and pray to God. So that's one thing I want you to tell Have you breathed? Have you prayed to God? And then you might check and see, are those adults washing their hands? I mean, you and I know this. We've been washing our hands before we eat, when we come inside and after we eat. But you might need to remind them about washing their hands. We're all having to learn some new things here. Plus, they probably don't know about the cough, right? The vampire cough where you cough into your elbow or sneeze into your shoulder. So keep them on their toes where they know how to do those things, all right? But I want you to know you're doing a great job. So thanks for helping me out. Let's keep these adults calm and get them to breathe and pray to God and wash their hands and sneeze in appropriate ways. You know, every day over the last few weeks has felt like a month. We've been disrupted in every way. Our school, our work, our routines, our habits, they've all been thrown apart. It's almost like we've been in a car crash. We've been hit by COVID-19 and we're sitting there stunned, holding the steering wheel, wondering if we're hurt or injured, wondering what to do next. I mean, suddenly we have all this physical distance I kind of like that term a little better, physical distance. I like that better than social isolation or social distance. So we've got this. We're isolated. We're staying at home. We're washing our hands and we're staying out of big groups. But what's next? Do we jump out of the car and help someone? Or are we too injured to maybe help? Fighting a virus has made it quite difficult for us because it's invisible. 
It's not like a weather cancellation where we can see the front and we can see the storm. It's not like a tornado where we can go down into a tornado shelter. We're just going about life as normal, but we're having to do it at home, alone. And it's at times like this where fear tends to crop up. Have you noticed it? You might have found yourself over the last week or so on your own crying. Or maybe even cowering in fear, hiding in your closet or in a protected space. Or perhaps you found yourself laughing out loud at a meme that's probably inappropriate, but it takes the edge off. What are the things that you're finding yourself worried about? Are you worried about getting sick? Are you worried about possibly dying? Or running out of toilet paper? Or not having enough beans or hand sanitizer? Or Gatorade or whatever else they tell us that we're supposed to go and grab off the shelves? My anxiety right now is email. I'm having overload. Every person I've ever met, every business I've ever frequented is giving me their COVID-19 plan. I mean, seriously, do I need to know what my tire company is doing for COVID-19? Just having a little bit of anxiety of too much email. Really and truly, I've been missing you, the people of God, the gathered church. It's been hard. I saw uh, one of my extroverted former co-workers, who is very, very extroverted and bubbly, posted on the internet, we extroverts, don't forget about us. We're not okay. We miss our hugs. And then on the other extreme, you've got Denny who posts, I've been practicing social distancing for my whole life. You know, there's a lot of ways that we're dealing with this, but I have to tell you, I've really been missing you. Last Sunday, I came and sat in the lobby and prayed for you. Wherever you were, scattered across Albuquerque, or in the case of many of our folks, scattered across the world, traveling. And I just found myself praying in that lobby, in that space, and realizing that our space here on 10,101 Montgomery Boulevard is important space, right? It's not just a location, it's not just an address. And I realized that the space that we have in our schedule even though it's just a couple of hours on a Sunday, is not simply time. It is spiritual space, and I miss it, and I miss you. As leaders, we know that this is necessary, to be physically distant for, for, from one another for a time, and that's okay. We can get used to that. We feel like it's necessary to pay attention to what our government and our health officials are saying. We can do this. But whenever we think about what we miss about church, there are a few things that pop up. In the fall, the elders and ministers began talking about what are some of the big things that make church, church. And one of them is worship. And worship is not simply what we do on Sunday morning. It goes through our whole life, but it certainly includes Sunday morning. We also have service where we are loving our neighbor and reaching out to our neighbor to provide what they need. In this case, I've been mindful of our homebound folks because now all of us are homebound. 
I'm mindful of the different ministries and ministry leaders that can't meet together. And I'm especially aware of each of you who are serving in your jobs and facing extra care if you're in the medical field and maybe even no job at all. This time of serving others is another thing that makes church, church. We are also a kind of church that is equipping each other. We are focused in on preparing ourselves through teaching and preaching and gathering together in groups. And these things, worshiping and serving and equipping, are ways that we love God, love our neighbor, and love ourselves. And it's easy to miss them. And it feels like at some level they're being pulled apart. And maybe you wonder, well, who do I need to be mad at? Do I need to be mad at the government? Do I need to be mad at a country? Do I need to blame a political party? Who should I be mad at? I think all of us can agree, regardless of whatever our initial response is to this crisis, that what we're feeling is a loss of community. And we value the community of God very deeply. And that's the reason as I've been looking at a particular scripture over the last few weeks, I've been frustrated. I've been frustrated by this scripture. In fact, it's the very words of Jesus that are offending me and working me over. This is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. And the scene of the story is that the disciples and Jesus have been to church. Actually, they've been to temple. Herod's temple. And they are impressed and amazed at Herod's temple. There are massive stones that construct this temple. The whole structure sits on about 35 acres. And these stones in the wall around the temple would be between 3 tons and 400 tons. Some of them even 40 feet in length. This temple structure towered the walls themselves about 80 feet above the street and even 50 feet down into the ground. As you look at the temple, which was much smaller than the 35 acres and not everyone could go to it, it was still very visible. In fact, it was plated in gold on the front. The temple faced to the east like most temples do, facing east with the backside towards the west. So the rising sun could illuminate it. Now, here in the first Christian building, our sanctuary is set north-south, kind of like a football field. A lot of football fields are set up north and south so we don't get the sun in our eyes. Baseball fields, they're a little different. It's actually in the rule book that they should be set northeast or east, the home baseline to the second baseline. So here... At this temple, early in the morning, you could be blinded by looking at the temple. As the sun hit this gold, you wouldn't even be able to look at its beauty. And even though it sounds like a fortress, there were 10 gates around this wall that allowed people to come in. Massive gates, 45 feet tall, 22 feet wide, for lots of people to come in and be a part of the courtyard and be a part of the worship. All of this beauty, all of this majesty, stands in attention to God. 
And the disciples are wowed and amazed. And now we get to the words that drive me a little crazy in the last couple of weeks. This is from Mark 13, verses 1 through 3. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and large buildings. And then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. It will all be thrown down. Now that's it. That's the passage that's been working me over. I mean, the disciples are just acknowledging the beauty of what they see. The beauty of this place put together by Herod, not a Jew, to the Jewish God Yahweh. And Jesus comes along and says, it's all going to be thrown down. It's all going to be rubble. Now, maybe I got offended because I thought about how much I'm missing you and being gathered in this space. Maybe I thought about what it would really feel like if Jesus came walking down Montgomery Boulevard and looked at our sign and our courtyard and our building and said, it'll all be thrown down. It'll all be laid to rubble and all be laid to waste. Maybe you can see why I got a little upset. Because after all, this is intended for worship of God. This is intended to point people to God, to prepare them to fill the streets of Albuquerque and the world with the Spirit of God as we come out of our worship together. And so it just felt offensive. It felt discouraging. And so I can relate to the disciples who couldn't sit very long with it either because they walked out of the temple and just outside of the city walls up to the Mount of Olives where they could look back down on the temple. Maybe it was the time of day where they were blinded by looking at the temple. But four of those disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, look at Jesus and they kind of lean privately to Jesus and they say, when is this going to happen? What's going to be the sign that this is going to happen? What are, what are the predictors? Now, I can relate to this. Perhaps you can too. When I think about this virus that we can't see, we would like to get some kind of notice. When is it going to hit me? When is it going to hit someone I know or someone that I love deeply? When will it all be over? When can things just go back to normal? Right? We kind of want to be ready. We want to learn something so that we can avoid this and be prepared. Maybe not prepared in the way that the senators who knew about coronavirus and told people it's going to be much worse privately and sold their stocks privately, but publicly everything is just fine. Maybe not prepared in a secretive way like that, but still we'd like to know when it's going to happen. So Jesus, as he gets this question of when, doesn't answer the when. Instead, he answers the who question. He begins to explain that there are going to be other voices other voices who step forward who say, I am, using code word for Yahweh there, I am he. Jesus says, beware and watch out for people that are going to be ready to play God, to control you, to be the expert, 
and begin to lead you and draw your attention away from God, calling your attention to anything other than God. The descriptions that Jesus gives here are not very comforting. Because as he talks about this, he says there'll be wars. Nations will turn against nation. Kingdoms will do battle with one another. And there'll be all kinds of physical disasters like earthquakes and famines. And I can kind of feel that, right? That feels like it's in the air now. But this is not the Mark 13 that many preachers tend to turn to to talk about the end of time. Have you been around preachers like this? Where they want to tie specific people or events and begin to tell you about when the end of the world will come? Let me just warn you, just like Jesus did, to beware of people who will point you and say, this is the time. Whenever you find a preacher that begins to talk so much about the world after, that there's more there then they're probably not so focused in on the realities that we face here and now. Watch out for those kind of preachers. Well, however you're hearing this passage, this doesn't feel like a pick-me-up passage of Mark chapter 13. And I keep looking for Jesus' timeless wisdom, and you have to wait for it. In fact, for me in this passage, it comes as one word. Blepo. Now, I'm giving you the Greek word, blepo, because it's used frequently in Mark chapter 13. And I'm kind of telling you it because it sounds cool. Blepo, blepo, blepo. It means to watch or to see. It means to beware or to give your full attention to. This is a word that's definitely visible it's definitely focused in on what you can see in your eyes, but it's a full-bodied attention where we are paying close watch for what is coming. So here's the way it works. In verse 2, Jesus says, Do you blepo these large stones? Do you see them? They're all going to be rubble. Blepo for those who will lead you astray. Watch out for, in other words, verse 5, those who will lead you astray. And he's calling our attention to God, not to digital dots of the stock market, not to security or insecurity about our jobs, not to a desire to be healed of a disease that we cannot see. We are in this together. And Jesus invites our attention to be more hopeful, to not give attention to those things that we see, these massive stones, the fear that might be around us manifest by empty shelves at Walmart, and to not be drawn into seeing one another as enemies or blaming or attacking or separating, but coming together, uniting, seeing something in a new way. So really, that's the message. Are we willing to pay attention, to blepo, to God? And if I could, I'll just draw your attention to three things here. Three words from Jesus that I think are helpful on any occasion, and maybe particularly so on this occasion. First, blepo, God. Pay attention to God. 
in verse 5 of chapter 3. In the midst of all of this craziness, in a time when people's attention is spread out every which way, and they want you to follow all kinds of guides, pay attention to God. Don't get caught up in political blame games. Don't get caught up in politics that minimizes or maximizes our situation. Slow down for sure. Pay attention and heed the warnings. But don't be reduced to panic. Whenever we're drawn into panic and fear, we're drawn into our animal brain, our lizard brain, where we are thinking about fighting or running away. And that lizard brain will only serve us in those traumatic times, but it doesn't serve us as Christians, as believers in the one true and living God. We do not have to be afraid. We can pay attention to God. We don't have to worry about getting sick because in God, we're going to be fine. We don't have to worry about running out of toilet paper. We're going to be fine in God. We don't have to worry and concern ourselves about a future where we may not have enough money. We're going to be fine when we rest in God. During this time, pay attention to when that lizard brain tries to kick in and make you afraid, make you shocked and wanting to run away or wanting to fight. And instead, notice it. Pay attention to it and let it just float away. Use this as an opportunity to pray. Maybe if you don't have the words, you could use the words of Psalm 46 or Psalm 143 or even Psalm 91. Let the words of Scripture form your prayers so that you can blepo God. You can pay attention to God. A second thing, don't be alarmed by all the racket or afraid that this is the end. The end is still to come. If you look in Mark chapter 13, verse 7 and verse 8, that's exactly what Jesus says. These things may appear, but the end is still not yet. Since the beginning of time, there have been all kinds of tragedies that have struck. And we don't have to fret and worry about the end. Could this be it? Could this be the one? The end that we're looking for is Jesus. That's the fullness, that's the completion we're watching for. We're not worried about a sudden end. We are worried about the coming of Jesus, the parousia of Jesus. So, seek to be present to Jesus. Jesus is our greatest example of God, the manifestation of God in the flesh. Third, the third thing for us to think about comes in the 13th verse of this chapter. The one who endures to the end will be saved or will be healed. Enduring with God to the end is what we're about. Christians are endurers. We're the people who remain. We stay behind and stay with people. That's the way we're known. People who are firmly fixed in God are able to remain and stay to the very end and be not only with God, but with others, to show love to one another. And this is a time when you can show love to those who are in the apartment above you or the apartment below you. Get to know your neighbors who are on your left and on your right. Become friends with them and endure with them. 
Christians have done this through the centuries. In fact, in the third century, there was a plague called the Plague of Cyprian, mainly because a, a minister by the name of Cyprian described the plague. In Rome, there were about 5,000 people that were dying a day. And Dionysius, a bishop of Rome, talked about Christians having this unbounded love of staying with others and showing love towards others. In the 14th to the 16th century, there was a black death that swept across Europe. And in Martin Luther's time, in the Great Reformation, that hit Martin Luther as well. In fact, he told Christians, don't judge other Christians for the way that they're responding by either leaving or staying. But he himself, with his pregnant wife, did stay. It ended up costing them the life of their unborn daughter. But Martin Luther was not afraid. You see, Christians are endurers. They're remainers and stayers. That's where hospitals have come from, because Christians want to care for those who are sick. We're so blessed to have so many medical professionals who have a heightened level of stress during this time, but are, commitment, are committed to that because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. During this time, I want you to know that there are some clear things that we can do. And I invite you to go to our website. We've got a letter posted there on St. Patrick's Day. And this letter will articulate some specific things that you can do during this difficult time. But three quick things for you to remember. First, we are going to continue to be a worshiping people. We'll worship here in this space, online. We'll respect the fact that we have to be physically separated for a time, but we will continue to have teaching and preaching and communion together. And it will be the kind of accessible worship that's real and not so formalized. So feel free to come and join us again next week in this same space. Second, we're going to continue to be the church where we are. And we want to know what you're doing to gather as the church right where you are. Most likely that will mean you're alone. There may not be anyone else in the room. Maybe that's because you're in a medical facility or in a nursing home. Or maybe you're just happening to get to know your neighbors. And if they're well, you're having them over to your house. Use this as a chance to share with us what you're doing to be the church where we are. And you can send that to the email that we've set up, where we are at firstabq.org. And then finally, our groups are going to continue to meet. All of our many diverse first groups, Sunday schools, classes, youth groups, are going to be looking for ways to connect. And it may take us a while. But you'll probably be hearing from your leaders about how to connect with them on the phone or online. So, until then, may your body be at home in God. May you wash your hands in the peace of Jesus Christ. May you breathe in deeply the peace of the Holy Spirit. Amen.